0: Oh, I used to be a rander, I've been around this town Oh, I used to be a rander, been around this town I've courted pretty Polly, I've been all around Oh, word is pretty Polly, oh, yonder she stands Oh, where oh, yonder
1: she's Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 10 of Mountain Murder.
0: We're really struggling through this episode. Can I just tell them, like, a little... Can we preface this Yeah, episode? you can. We're
1: going to put all like, that in... Heather and... seems
0: to be having some sort of, like, meltdown. I can't function every time I try to start with this podcast i end up like just fucking it all up
1: oh i think that's going to be on blooper reel eventually we're going to expose you
0: yeah you should i mean i'm like stripping down here in the studio it's like a million degrees in here it is hot maybe i'm having a hot flash oh my god am i old enough to be having hot flashes okay let's not talk about that. we have a pretty interesting case here for you and it's one that i've extensively researched and it kind of goes along with this other case that i'm going to bring to you guys at some point um so it kind of ties in but we'll get to that here in a minute are you ready dylan
1: let's do it
0: okay so we're gonna take you back a little bit to a different time so imagine groovy asheville in the 1970s
1: i bet it was super groovy
0: i mean asheville wants to be groovy now right Desperately,
1: that may be this side of groovy now, but
0: but I mean, I think this was when groovy was groovy, as John Mellencamp says. Yeah, I bet it was.
1: Yeah, I bet it was pretty pretty damn cool back then.
0: And this is a, a tragic story, and it starts with a college student. Her name is Virginia Olson, and she's 19 years old from Lexington, North Carolina, and she's a sophomore drama student at UNCA, which is the University of North Carolina at Asheville. And by all accounts, she was this beautiful young woman. She was really spirited, full of kindness. Um, friends described her as being really happy. She was loved. Mom, dad, brother, sister came from like the quintessential all-American family. And, uh, you know, very intelligent. Her peers say she was just really talented. I mean, she's a drama major, so you've got to figure she's outgoing, artistic, really sensitive.
1: Yeah, it sounds like she had a really bright future. Yeah, head over.
0: well, she was affectionately known as Ginger. Again, her name is Virginia Ginger. And um, she was 19 years old. So, of course, I'm sure she's, she's uh, looking forward to a bright future, wants to be involved in theater, wants to be an actress. So, you know, probably has big dreams of the stage, Broadway, maybe Hollywood. Who knows? The UNCA Botanical Gardens, I guess at the time, was called the Asheville Biltmore Botanical Gardens. But still stands. It's a really comfortable place for students to go hang out, do homework. Um, A lot of local people go there, take walks, have picnics, take the kids. Um, Just a really nice, peaceful area. Have you ever been to the botanical gardens?
1: I've not been to that one, but I've been to other ones. And I'm going to assume they, I'm not, I I was actually curious. I'm glad you asked me that. What the hell sets a garden apart from a botanical garden? I don't know. Okay, we're going to, have to research. That's
0: that. probably a question that you should ask me when we're not trying to podcast. But um, I mean, I'm pretty smart, but I can't just,
1: you know. That's okay. You're human.
0: I can't just spew out.
1: But yeah, they're they're typically very like, nice.
0: Right. So you know, this afternoon, I guess Ginger decides she's going to go hang out at the botanical gardens. But I'm going to preface that with this: so Friday the thirteenth of April. Um, Virginia's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Olson, had been to Asheville to visit their daughter. Kind of like on a, a road trip. They were on a road trip, stopped by for like a brief visit. And the father was a research technician for the Rural Electrification Administration. And the parents visit her for a little bit. Then they leave Asheville and they drive to Dudley, Mississippi to visit Mrs. Olson's parents, the Woods. And I guess it was there that they got a phone call from the Asheville police, um, you know, telling them what had happened to their daughter.
1: Oh, my God. Right. Every parent's so, not married. Yeah.
0: So visiting, you know, her parents, mom's parents, the grandparents, and then you get this terrible phone call. You're on vacation. You're away from home. You're miles away from home.
1: they just popped through You're and saw her. You just visited. saw her.
0: I mean, I can't imagine. So, Ginger had told her roommate, um, Jane Nicholson, that something good always happened to her on Friday the 13th.
1: That's an interesting outlook.
0: So, about 1 p.m. on this Sunday, Ginger gathered up some of her books, and she was living in Craig Dormitory that she shared a room there with Miss Nicholson. So, she gathers up her stuff, and she walks down a path to a parking lot near the dorm, chatted with some friends, then started toward the entrance of the botanical garden. And the gardens are fairly close to the university. You know, a lot of students go there to hang out. Not a big deal, right? About 3 p.m., two teenagers are attending a cookout at the Botanical Gardens when they happen to stumble upon this body. My God. So just a short time after Virginia Olson has left to go to the gardens to study, they find her body. And these uh, two high school students, Thomas Guthrie and Larry O'Kelly, find this naked body in the woods near where the chancellor's house now stands on campus. And the body was hogtied with her own clothing. Her naked breasts revealed a stab wound to her heart. Her tennis shoes were thrown around. The laces had been removed. They identified her from a personal journal, which had her name scribbled across the front, and her wire-rimmed glasses were sitting delicately on top of the journal.
1: That must have been an insane scene to stumble upon.
0: Upon, you know, autopsy and all that, they later reveal, investigators were able to reveal that a pocket knife had actually been used to stab her. That it had been, you know, inserted, basically stabbed right in the heart and probably killed her instantly. There was also a slice across her neck. And the detectives at the time believed that she had been killed first and then brutally raped by this unknown assailant.
1: Well, that's sick.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, that was, what, 40-something years ago and still unsolved. They've never found the killer. He escaped justice for all this time. I mean, we can only assume it's a he.
1: Well, that's wild that he can do that, and I'm going to assume it's a fairly, you know, busy area, you know. Right. Right there by the campus, by these gardens that everyone shares.
0: And in such a short period. I mean, 1 p.m., she's in her dorm. She's chatting with her roommate. She grabs up all of her books. I'm going to go study you know heads off
1: less than two hours later drops
0: in a parking lot talks to friends goes to the garden and then by three o'clock they're finding her body so in such a such a short period two hours
1: makes you wonder how they um how that investigation went i guess is what was the one trying to get out
0: well they had a psychologist at the time who profiled a psychopathic killer They said this person had no ties to her other than a desire to kill and rape her naked corpse. Of course, a lot of rumors swirled. Uh, There's a story about a rich kid that was let off because of his family's influence in town. Another story says that it was an escaped mental patient from a nearby hospital. Um, Of course, who knows? Rumors still persist after all these years. But one of the things that a lot of folks feel like took, attention away from this murder was uh, Watergate had just broken as a story. Wow. And so that was like a huge thing going on and it kind of forced her story off the front page of the newspaper back into the second, third pages because Watergate and Nixon was the big scandal. Oh, I'm sure. All across the newspaper
1: headlines. I'm sure that, yeah, pushed it way back in the pages.
0: Yeah. And so now, you know, she's sort of become like a bit of a ghost story. I mean, a lot of students at UNCA have heard this story. There's been a lot of, like, local pieces written about her, her murder, her death. There was some poetry that was in a yearbook, I guess, that had been dedicated to her at the time. You know, a lot of people that she had known for years, you know, were making tributes to her, like, after this happened. And I guess she had a boyfriend. They had been together for, like, three years. They had known each other since they were, like, little kids, and had even, I guess, at some point discussed marriage. And he went on to become a biologist. He got a Ph.D. Um, I guess he teaches or was teaching at Cornell University. Oh, wow. Um, So, I mean, she just sort of went on to become this myth. You know, the case lives on, I guess, the Asheville Police Department's cold case unit has been looking into it over the last 40-something years. But you got to think about the trail's probably gone totally cold at this point because— a lot of the family members, friends have moved on. They've passed away at this
1: point. Yeah, it's a problem years is a witnesses, long time. friends, family. Yeah. Potential suspects. That's uh, I'm sure they run into those problems a lot with cold cases. Very and, hard to solve.
0: Yeah, and for the time, I mean, this was such a big deal at UNCA, and it really kind of changed, I guess, the nature of the campus.
1: I'm sure it because did. this was
0: not something that had ever happened there, so... Um, it sparked a lot of fear. They started increasing security on campuses, and especially at UNCA, they started initiating some policies, trying to enforce safety in numbers, telling people to make sure they traveled together, young women to travel in groups, you know, if you're going out, especially after dark, you want to make sure you're with a buddy, that kind of thing. Boyfriends, of course, at the time weren't letting their girlfriends out of their sight. It was kind of like everybody was sort of on the edge of their seat thinking, is this going to happen again?
1: Well, yeah, it's unsolved. Is he out there? Is he planning on doing it again? He got away with it.
0: Well, so this is how it kind of ties in with another case that we're going to get to eventually here on the show is the murder of Nancy Morgan, which takes place in Madison County. And she was also found hogtied, naked and dead inside of a government car on this road out in Madison County um, in 1970. And her killer was never caught. Really? Yeah, so I guess that was like three years before Ginger was murdered. And so, like I said, we're going to get to that case because it's pretty interesting. It's not that far from UNCA
1: either. Actually, it's heading out the same way.
0: Yeah, there's some definite similarities in the two murders. And some people have even questioned, could it have been the same person? Right. But again, the trail never provided any leads. And I guess... Some years later or, you know, right after this had happened, I'm not really sure the time frame, some anonymous report went into the Asheville Citizen Times from this man who said that he traveled to Asheville for work and that he saw Ginger climb into a car with two men on the day of her death. And he then claimed the car returned to drop her off on the hill where she was found to be dead two hours later. The police never followed the lead. And then somehow the witness just sort of sunk back into the abyss.
1: So that's kinda weird. He saw her get in the car and then get dropped off two hours later. So is is he stationary or is he work near there? Kinda weird.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. But that was a pretty weird detail.
1: That is strange.
0: And so we're just gonna go with this theme of like I guess unsolved women's murders in Asheville.
1: Yeah, let's keep it rolling. Because
0: we've got this Virginia Olsen case unsolved and there are actually a couple of other Females who've been murdered in Asheville over the last 20 or 30 years that have never been solved. And some of them are eerily similar. Now, as we mentioned, the Virginia Olson case, along with the Nancy Morgan case, some similarities, potentially. And some of these cases could also maybe have some similarities. I mean, it's worth, I think, looking into.
1: Yeah, they're being hog-tied. If you're Hulk a, Todd, if you're a weird.
0: podcast sleuth. Exactly. This story, I actually remember when I was in high school, because this took place in 1997, so I'll show my age. I was actually, like, 17 when this happened, and I remember following the case, you know, in the newspapers and on TV, because I just remember looking at this girl's photo, and she was pretty, and she kind of looked a little funky, you know, in some of her pictures, and um, I kind of identified with that, because, you know, she and her photos had, like, Hair was dyed different colors, and she looked a little goth in some pictures, and I just remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh, that could be me. Yeah. And she was young, and, you know, it just kind of hit a nerve with me, I guess, and that's the case of Amber Lundgren, and um, she was an only child. She was born February 7th, 1977, um, to a 21-year-old single mom, and I guess as far as, uh, you know, her religious belief, she was baptized in the Catholic Church, grew up in Tampa, Florida, eventually moving to Asheville. I guess she had an uncle that had moved here. You know, she and her mom had come up to visit and liked it so much, they decided that they wanted to live in Asheville, which happens. A lot of people come here for a visit, fall in love with the mountains and say, I have to live there. It's for me.
1: Yeah, It's a beautiful area.
0: So eventually moved to Asheville. Amber spent most of her high school years at T.C. Robertson High School. And then I guess she eventually went to the Asheville High School and graduated from there. And she went to work at Pier One Imports. And she w- eventually became an assistant manager. But she's a pretty young gal, you know, pretty young girl here, 20 years old, and already an assistant manager in retail. It's, it's pretty,
1: pretty good. It's pretty good.
0: And according to friends, she really loved dancing and going out. Um, but she wasn't a party girl, and when this happened, I guess the media was trying to portray her as like she was this party girl, kind of seaster chick out in you know Asheville, just living it up and her friends said that's not really the case and she didn't really drink and that she was really responsible, you know by um almost all accounts of her behavior People have described her as like she was so responsible at her job um you know older manager who's like... 10 15 years older than hers like she's only 20 but she was super responsible kid i knew i could count on her her landlord said she was a great tenant always paid rent on time quiet respectable really clean
1: that doesn't sound like the wild child type does it
0: no but according to her friends again um you know she did like to go out have fun she was always kind of changing up her look always dyeing her hair trying out new styles she was into fashion you know one minute she might look kind of preppy and then The next minute, she would do something really outrageous, look kind of goth or punk, just always kind of playing with her look. And that's probably, like I said, the thing I kind of identified most with her is she was just a little bit older than me. And I just remember seeing her on the news and hearing her story and thinking like, she looked like the kind of girl that either I would be one day or that I'd want to hang out with. Right. And um, so she and her girlfriends were going to go out a nice summer night, June. They were having a disco night at a bar downtown called Barcode which later became like Asheville Music Zone and has been a couple of different bars over the years. But I remember when it was called Barcode and they were having this disco night. And so Amber and her girlfriends were going to dress up, go out dancing. And her friends um, in some, you know, interviews said that this was like a thing that she was really looking forward to. Like she had gone out and bought like these sponge rollers so she could Curl her hair up. Yeah, she
1: was going to do it up.
0: Yeah. And I guess there was some sort of costume contest. So she was really looking forward to like decking out for disco night. You know, girls night out. Sounds like a lot of fun. Amber and her friends had agreed that if they got separated, they would meet back at her apartment and then spend the night there. And Amber's apartment was nearby on Linden Avenue, which is just off Merriman Avenue. Friends say that Amber was the designated driver that night, and they agreed that if Amber changed her mind during the evening and started drinking, which was highly unlikely because she was never really much of a drinker, they told her that she just would call a cab, And either come get all of them or she would call a cab and she would get a ride home and then they would all meet there. Game plan ahead of time. Which, you know, if you go out with your girlfriends, at least I know when I go out with my girlfriends, I don't know about you, Dylan, but um, this was something that we always did. We always had a game plan. We're not going to separate from each other. If we do, we're going to meet back here. You know, you kind of think ahead on those things.
1: Is that the no chick left behind? Yeah,
0: it really is. Okay. You know, and I think a lot of women do that because of situations like this. Amber left Barcode sometime around 3 a.m. There were conflicting stories about whether or not she had been drinking that night. Like some witnesses said, yeah, she had been drinking. And other people were like, "No, I didn't really see her drink at all that night. She leaves out walking um, from Barcode, which is at 81 Broadway Street. She was last seen walking on Lexington Avenue, turning left onto Walnut Street. And some of her friends think that she may have been headed for a place called Gatsby's. Which was another bar in town. I guess they frequented and uh, they had a friend's brother who was a bartender there. So was kind of like a spot she was familiar with. So it seemed like she might have been walking in that direction. And they say, you know, it was pretty hard. Imagine Amber being careless enough to walk alone at 3 a.m. Because that's just, was out of character for her? And, you know, she just wasn't the type really to, to do that kind of thing. Pretty responsible. They already made this game plan. And this all kind of went against what the game plan was. To get a cab or whatever. Yeah. There were some other witnesses that say that they might have seen her out near Gatsby's, there was a pretty large group of people kind of, you know, milling around on the sidewalk in front of the bar. 3 a.m., I mean, this is closing time. People have shut down. People stand around hanging out talking. Nobody um, remembers hearing, like, a scream, like somebody grabbed her, anything like that. There have been some witnesses who say that they thought they saw her get into a truck. And there's been some dispute about the truck. Some people have said that it was a green truck, others say it was a red truck. But from what I've been reading, those two colors seem to get confused, like in the evening. In the hours. dark. Yeah. Yeah. Like quite I guess a I bit. could see that. She may or may not have gotten into this vehicle willingly, but again, nobody heard like a scream or anything suspicious. That was not ever really an issue, I guess. But by the time her friends started looking for her, it was around 4.30 or 5 a.m. So she's last seen 3 a.m., 4.35. Her friends can't find her. They go back to her apartment. They're knocking on the door. The, you know, the apartment door is still locked. Lights off. I mean, she's obviously not there, right? She had never returned home. I guess they start to worry about her the next day. are looking for her at work, not... Hearing from her, you know, whatever. Later that morning, so you have to keep in mind that was like June the sixth. So June the seventh, Amber was found off of Azalea Road with a single stab wound to her neck. And she was twenty years old at the time of her death. So some of the reports I've read with a detective wellborn who was on the case said that she did have some defensive wounds on her arms, hands, and legs, and that they think the clothing she had on had been removed like after her death. She really it seems like she really fought for her life.
1: That's horrible.
0: Yeah. They think that she was murdered between three and four. There were witnesses who said they saw a work truck uh, backing into the location where a body was found and that a man was seen standing beside the truck, but they didn't see Mrs. Lundgren or anybody else at the scene. Three, four in the morning, a work truck backs into this road.
1: A little suspicious.
0: Strange. Um, People, you know, downtown said they saw this older model pickup truck that could have possibly had toolboxes maybe run along the sides of the yeah like a utility bed yeah downtown kind of getting similar reports with that suspect that was described i guess at the azalea road location where a body was found was uh, being somewhere between maybe 25 45 stocky build medium height dark reddish hair and a beard she's pretty specific at like three or four in the morning
1: Yeah, yeah. somebody got a decent look at him. See all that detail, really.
0: And the detective said there was no evidence that she had been sexually assaulted. Whoever killed her, you know, the assailant, uh, carried her body about 40 feet from the vehicle, threw it in a small drainage ditch where running water then covered her body. At the time, you know, they weren't able to find any DNA evidence from the crime scene or from her body. Of course this was 1997, DNA is probably still fairly new and kind of just being used at this point.
1: Oh, I'm sure, but um, you know, I mean, why do you grab a girl and just kill her? You know, yeah. typically speaking that the motivation for that is unfortunately you know sexual assault torture well, you know, and it's like, sadistic shit
0: we normally don't get into the business of like speculating what happened too often with this but i mean it, it seems to me that like either a it was somebody who knew her because she did go out downtown quite a bit she was kind of known pretty girl somebody grabbed her that knew her and maybe she willingly got in a vehicle with somebody that she knew was familiar to her right it seems likely or like a situation where it was uh you know just the right time right place for this creepy person you're a predator. You're out. It's three in the morning. You see a drunk girl, or you see a girl stumbling around downtown. You grab her. I, I don't could know.
1: Only, only imagine on these these unsolved cases of any type that the family how you could never know what or why or any of that closure you can get, or the the person's caught, been punished, kept away from society, other people protected. I could just only imagine how those families feel and carry on for the rest of the, rest of their lives.
0: Right? I know. And her friends. I mean... I'm friends, You know, if yeah. you imagine being a young person, young woman, and you go out with your girlfriend and then she goes missing and then she's dead? You would have to feel such guilt and, like, responsibility for
1: that. Oh, I'm sure. What if I'd done this? Or, you know, I should have done this. Yeah. I mean,
0: there have been times that I've gone out with girlfriends and... You know, I'm always the responsible one that's like, we are not going to separate. We are going to stay together. But I've had those rogue friends who just decide in some drunken state that they're going to go off and do something stupid. Go off with some dude they don't know or whatever, and I am quick to rip them a new one. Like, that is so fucking stupid, you're going to end up dead.
1: You're cock-blocking, is what you're describing. I, yeah, totally. Oh, no. I'm like,
0: I don't want your ass to be dead. No, so and that's a good way, way to end up of dead. much my 20s to be like, well, what are you fucking doing? Get your ass over here. And being like that friend that pissed everybody off because I wouldn't let them... Just run off with strangers you could you know? have saved their life possibly yeah i have to tell you a story about a friend that ran away in savannah and had me freaking out for like 12 hours definitely anyway. saved
1: them some walks of shame i'm sure
0: well there's another similar case and this is what i think is so interesting about this is that azalea road amber lundgren's body was found dumped out azalea road 1997 but Just before that, which I think was 87, Pamela Murray, and we actually spoke about her on our first episode, the Karen Stiles murder, because Richard Allen Jackson, there was a detective who thought he may have been responsible for killing Pamela Murray. Of course, that was never proven. It was just sort of a you know, I guess, speculation theory. But Pamela Murray was last seen at the Asheville Mall on Tunnel Road. Detectives believe that she was kidnapped from the mall, transported in her boyfriend's vehicle, which was the vehicle that she had driven to the mall. So she's kidnapped, forced in her, you know, her own vehicle, taken out to Azalea Road and shot. And then the vehicle was later returned to the mall parking lot. And Pamela would have only been 23 at the time of her death. So That's somebody crazy. just randomly kidnaps her from the mall, takes her out, shoots her, brings the car back, dumps her body out on Zalia Road. Crazy. I mean, was this like a dumping ground for bodies?
1: Makes you wonder what the hell is are these people thinking or why so they do this shit.
0: Another unsolved case. And then that brings us to a third unsolved case. And now these may not have anything to do with each other, but it's just interesting because it's all these very young women murdered and... They've never solved
1: them. Totally random-seeming, just no... Yeah.
0: So, Kelly Lane Smith was last seen downtown Asheville, 2006. Now, she was known to be a sex worker. I guess she'd had previous arrests for prostitution. And she was seen downtown Asheville around July 29th, 2006. And on the morning of July 31st, some workers from Highland Clay's were on their lunch break and reported that skeletal remains were in the French Broad River, behind 600 Riverside Drive. And additional skeletal remains were located about a week later in a storm drain at the intersection of Robert Street and West Haywood Street. Kelly was around 35 at the time of her death, but dismembered, just strewn all around Asheville. The river, storm drain, unsolved.
1: What the hell? Yeah. It's total insanity. Yeah. We've said this before. When you cut a damn body up, that's some other shit, rather. Right
0: This is another element to this Kelly Smith story that just takes a turn for weird. And this has been reported in newspapers and and whatnot. So, I mean, we can probably talk about it even though the guy was never charged. This guy named Lewis Kyle Wilson, well, he was charged with the brutal assault and kidnapping of a prostitute. And the cops dubbed him as a person of interest in the 2006 murder of Kelly Lane Smith and some other similar assaults in the River Arts District. And so Wilson was Carpenter and he was arrested November 26, 2008 on charges of assault with a deadly weapon inflicting serious injury with the intent to kill and first-degree kidnapping after a woman claimed that he had forced her to perform oral sex and then stabbed her in the head on November 19th. And by her account, she bit, all, I guess, bit some of his penis, bit his penis, and somehow managed to escape and called the police from a nearby house. The Asheville Police Department searched Wilson's residence and the surrounding area the same day. And now get this. They seized items including bags of hair, handcuffs, leg irons guns saws and a small box of teeth the look on your face
1: that's insane that's Uh, the craziest mix of stuff i've ever heard of
0: yeah so on December the 8th, the APD executed a second search warrant on the area, identifying Wilson as a person of interest in the unsolved murder of prostitute Kelly Lane Smith and in cases of two other prostitutes who had reported being attacked and raped in the same area in the past. Smith was last seen July 29, 2006, and then of course parts of her dismembered remains were found in several areas, separate locations, both less than a mile from Wilson's residence.
1: Yeah, it was probably the guy with the leg irons and the saw and the box of teeth.
0: Lewis Kyle Wilson actually ended up pleading guilty to lesser assault and drug charges and spent only 14 months in jail.
1: It makes you wonder how they get some of these plea deals sometimes.
0: Well, DNA testing did reveal that the hair and teeth found in the search of his home didn't belong to Smith. Wilson has not been charged with any crimes connected to Smith's murder or the assaults of the two other prostitutes.
1: So it was somebody else's hair and teeth.
0: Yeah, I mean, who the fuck's hair and teeth you got? So why
1: the fuck you got somebody else's hair and teeth?
0: And why you got leg irons, handcuffs,
1: saws, saws
0: along with hair and teeth?
1: Some Silence of the lamb shit right there.
0: Right? Well, I have to say the guy does have, like, crazy realtor eyes. Does he? Do you know the dude that does the History Channel, Aliens?
1: Yeah. Oh, the one with the a, hair? He looks like that guy. Oh, His yeah. mug
0: shot. He totally looks like that dude.
1: Oh, that dude looks crazy.
0: Yeah. We better not yeah. talk about him too much or otherwise this Lewis Kyle Wilson's going to come crack us down. I don't, oh, yeah. I, 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 I don't get... want my molars to be in his tooth collection. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't want to be like, well, they're not that guy's teeth or some other guy's teeth.
0: You know, and these unsolved cases may not have anything to do with each other, but I just think it's interesting that you have several women murdered in Asheville over the course of two decades, and they've been unsolved, and I don't know. I mean, there's the connection with Pamela Murray and Amber Lundgren being dumped off on Azalea Road, which is like a pretty specific area to go dump a body.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of other places you can get to before and after there. Well, you're in Western North Carolina. You're in the mountains. There's a lot
0: of places around here you could probably hide a body. No one would ever find
1: it. Right. And a lot of times, uh, anyone who's dumping a body more than once especially does it in an area they're comfortable with or familiar with. And uh, one thing all these definitely have in common is uh, the fact that they seem pretty random. You know, the the girls taken and when and why. The fact that they all remain unsolved. So it's very strange.
0: It is. And when you think of a town like Asheville, I mean, sure, it's grown now. It's becoming more popular. We get a lot of tourists and it's become a a travel destination. You know, people call it the San Francisco of the East and, oh, the allure of Asheville. But, city. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, this is like not a place where you expect to find this many unsolved murders.
1: No, it's crazy.
0: Uh, these violent deaths of these I mean the the murder of Kelly Lane Smith is fucking crazy. Somebody sawed her up and dropped her body in various locations.
1: Well I'm, I'm I mean, saying that's it, fucked up. And that yeah, I mean that's likely someone who's done that before or since.
0: Well, it makes me wonder, and now if you remember about a year ago in Waynesville, they found, like, some of a body in a drainage ditch Yeah, that apparently had been there for a really right long there, time. Right you there
1: know, where everybody goes. Yeah, it was. Next to a parking lot.
0: Right off of uh, Russ Avenue.
1: That was so we weird. Call, we
0: call that Grease Alley because it's where like all of the fast food restaurants are in Waynesville. Yep. Next to a Sagebrush Steakhouse. Yep. A super busy gas station.
1: And uh, a few retail shops right there yeah. that are super big. It's just a it's a, a and tie.
0: a residential neighborhood. Right. A street running right by this drainage ditch where there's like a residential neighborhood where people live and in, literally in, and in the, the middle
1: of a parking lot.
0: They find a body in a in this like drainage pipe, I guess.
1: Was it in a pop or was it open?
0: I don't know.
1: I feel like it was an open hole.
0: But it's like the body had been there for quite some time. Yeah. And they was... were saying it was like pieces. Ah. I mean, you know, so it's like, and we've never heard word about that. Never of course, heard another the cops word have never it. released any information about that, who it might have been, cause of death, anything like
1: that. They did but they filled just, that hole in but it's just that.
0: really weird to think that like okay here's another woman that's thrown in a drainage ditch here's another body that's been dismembered and part partly thrown in a drainage storm drain and then oh yeah there's this body in Waynesville that just mysteriously you know appears in this ditch
1: you know it's funny they never said anything else a follow-up we need to look into that yeah and let everybody know what we find yeah because how do you just have a body in the middle of a parking lot in a busy part of town i mean basically it's off to the side of a parking lot there's people walking i mean at some point it was a whole body it's got a smell now it's not uncommon to smell larger animals and things that have been killed by the road and things in in these parts but uh i would like to think that a human body is a distinct odor different yeah it's got to
0: and how can it be there for such an extended period of time nobody makes a complaint about like there's a weird funk Oh, yeah. I don't know, though, but then who are you going to complain to? Are you going to call up the town of Waynesville and be like, hey, it stinks here?
1: Or no little badass kid went down through there poking with stuff. stuff what is know? this,
0: the river's edge? You're going to poke a body with a stick?
1: Well, yeah, I'm going to show you guys. Come on, guys, I'll show you where the body's at.
0: Okay, Crispin Glover. We just
1: got to walk like 67 miles down these railroad tracks.
0: Well, thank you for listening to this <laughs> episode of mountain murders kind of grouped in a few unsolved cases there together.
1: Yeah. We didn't know how else to talk about those because uh, there's, you know, limited facts on them, but we just threw it all together and uh, just threw it out there for you guys. Yeah. And for of y'all. Course
0: you can find us on Spreaker, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, pocket cast, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, we're on Patreon. So if you want to go throw us a couple of bucks, we'll give you a shout out on our show. Different levels of uh, you know sponsorship with the Patreon. Um, you can um, even maybe make some suggestions um, for the show. Uh, if you've got a case you want us to to talk about, or um, we might even get you to be a guest. We can do a Skype kind of interview, have you a guest spot on our show.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. And uh, feel free to uh visit our Facebook page and uh, comment anytime you like, or uh, share a cool serial killer murder related meme to the page and um
0: leave us a review
1: leave us a review
0: we like five stars
1: or throw a question out there yeah we'll be glad to
0: answer it for you again you've been listening to mountain murders thanks so much until next time
1: thanks y'all